Tonight I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 5. The book of Acts chapter 5. And whenever the Lord gives me a message out of the book of Acts, uh, it seems for the last almost three years now, I'm, I'm reminded of the word that God gave us here at Family Worship Center almost three, three years ago. Three, it will be three years ago this coming November, I believe. But the Lord spoke to us and said, read the book of Acts and get ready. Read the book of Acts and get ready. Oh, that's still a good word. <laughs> and tonight, the book of Acts, chapter 5, and reading tonight, beginning with verse 25, Acts 5 and verse, beginning with verse 25 through 29. And if you're there, give me a good Sunday night, amen. It says, then came one and told them, saying, behold, the man whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Verse 29 again. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Tonight I want to minister a message entitled, coming from those words of Peter and the apostles in verse 29, we ought to obey God rather than men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you tonight in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that your name, Jesus, is the name that's above every name, Lord. Hallelujah. It's above Buddha. It's above Mohammed. It's above Baal. It's above every other name mentioned in this world. Lord Jesus, your name is above it all. We just give you the praise tonight. And Lord, we ask you for your anointing to speak through me. Lord, clarity of speech and thought. And Lord, your anointing touch us tonight to receive and change us. Let your word be made real by the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, we say it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In dealing with this passage of Scripture tonight, I, wanna, I want to do so by looking at the life of the great reformer Martin Luther. I have had the privilege over the years to teach church history and Reformation history in the Bible college. And one of the things that I love about church history, Reformation history in particular, is that when you read about the lives of the great, of the great reformer Martin Luther, and which we'll look at tonight, and others, John Wycliffe, John Huss, William Tyndale, the testimonies that they had still are alive and well today. Hear that tonight? The testimonies that they had, what do I mean, do I mean by that? I mean what God did in their life 500 years ago is just as fresh and real today as it was then. When I read about while God used that man William Tyndale to translate the Bible, translate the Bible in the English, I thank God for that. Even though it was over 500 years ago, about that time, years ago, I thank God for how God used men and women in the past and what God did in their lives. Hear me tonight, what God has done in your life, the testimony that you have, 
look what the Lord has done, will ring throughout an eternity. I said it will ring throughout an eternity. You will praise God throughout eternity because of what God has done in your life. Mm. And what God did in this man by the name of Martin Luther, we've heard his name before, but get this, God used this man like he has used few men in human history. Because even though he was not the only reformer, of course, and there were other reformers that were before him, men like John Wycliffe in England, John Hush in the, Huss in the Czech Republic, there were others that were before him that God used. But God used Martin Luther to lead the charge in the Reformation, to see this world changed. God used this man in reality to change the entirety of the world through the message that we are saved by justification by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. God used him in a mighty way and Martin Luther, like all the reformers and like us ourselves, we are not perfect, we're far from perfect and when you examine his life, you will find flaws. When you examine even his doctrine, you will find flaws. But God uses imperfect people. I said he uses imperfect people. Martin Luther was born in the year 1483 in Eisleben, Germany. His parents were, were very strict Roman Catholics, and the Roman Catholic Church at that time pretty much ruled all of Europe. Not pretty much, it ruled all of Europe. It's interesting that we as Protestants and even the secular world refer to the Middle Ages, that time period from about approximately 500 to about 1500 A.D., about a thousand year period. We refer to it as the Dark Ages. You've heard of that term before, the Dark Ages. Whereas an Orthodox Roman Catholic refers to that as the Glory Days. And that was the time in which the Roman Catholic Church dominated Europe Roman Catholics at that time, which basically was the church, they viewed God as a distant, holy, and angry God that required complete perfection, complete obedience to the church. They believed very strongly in a works righteousness or a works, a works righteousness. That was the orientation of their mind. That was their belief system that God did not give his righteousness to anybody. In reality, God didn't give anything to anybody. You had to earn it. You had to work for it. Martin Luther was raised in that type of atmosphere. His mother was a very superstitious woman, like many were at that time. Very superstitious. Uh, she, and she installed that in her son, Martin Luther. That's that, again, that view of God, that God was a distant, holy, and angry God demanding perfection of me. And I had to work and work and work to appease a distant, holy, angry God that was in heaven. His father was a hardworking coal miner. and uh, He was not that way initially, but in the, in the Middle Age or in the 1500s and 1400s, Coal mining had come up in Germany, and he was getting wealth, and, and it was the desire of Martin Luther's father that his, that his son Martin would never grow up to be or have the life that he had. He wanted his son to be a lawyer, and so he put all of his money or much of his money into the training for his son, Martin Luther, 
as an 18-year-old boy, university, uh, entered the University of Erfurt to study law, and he was a brilliant student. He got his four-year bachelor degree in two years. He got his master's degree, which was normally a six-year degree. He got it in less than four years. He was a brilliant young man, very intelligent. But in all of his studies at the University of Erfurt to study law, there was always, and they crept up and, and it increasingly filled his heart, a void, an emptiness inside that his studies could not fill, that intellectualism could not fill, that philosophy of that day and even theology of that day could not fill that void that he had in his heart. You know, even though that was 500 years ago, today, in our time, 2009, that emptiness is still in the heart of unsaved men and women. And they can try the schools of thought, the intellectualism, and they can even try religion, but nothing can fill the emptiness of man's heart except Jesus, except the truth. Martin Luther, all he knew was Roman Catholicism and that works righteousness mentality and that void grew bigger and bigger and greater and greater. He got to a point where he was tormented by it. That he felt as if God was up in heaven looking down with an angry face. That God was angry with him because he had this void that he didn't feel love. He didn't feel peace. He didn't feel God in any way. And God was angry with him because of that. All he knew was an angry God. So he came to the point where he thought in his mind, well, I guess God is wanting me to become a priest. And he graduated from the University of Erfurt in 1505. His, his father had, 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 had sent a message for him to come home, and they were going to have a big celebration because it was his dad's desire again for his son to be a lawyer, and his son had completed his time in college to be a lawyer. And he was so proud of his son. Oh, my son, Martin, is going to be a lawyer. Wow. And put so much money into it. But you see, Martin, his son, was not going to be a lawyer. He was tormented in his heart between an angry God in heaven and an angry father on earth. And as he was on his way home that day in 1505, Martin, said, Martin Luther says in his own words, in his own testimony, that as he was on his way home, a thunderstorm, a lightning storm came, and a bolt of lightning almost hit him, knocked him to the ground. It didn't hit him, but almost hit him, knocked him to the ground, and he thought that that was God in his wrath about to kill him. That may seem stup or stupid or unusual to us. Why would he think something like that? But you see, he was full of a superstitious religion, and even though, yes, it is ridiculous to think that, but that still happens today if you didn't know it. Superstitious religion, he was full of it. And he thought God was angry with him and about to kill him because he, he hadn't entered the priesthood earlier. And, when he, and that day, in that rainstorm, that lightning storm, he looked up and cried out to St. Anne. He said, I don't know why St. Anne, maybe she was the saint of rainstorms. He said, St. Anne, if you save me, I'll enter the priesthood. I'll do it. That day he got home and 
There was celebration all prepared for him. But he went to his father and said, Dad, I'm, I'm not going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a priest. I'm going to be a monk. A what? A monk. The celebration was canceled. The party was canceled. Martin Luther left his home alone and entered one of the strictest monasteries in that area of Germany, in Erfurt, Germany, and was there for about five to six years. Became a very dedicated monk, an Augustinian monk. In about the year 1511, around there, 1512, he began to teach at the University of Wittenberg. He began to teach theology at the University of Wittenberg. An unsaved man teaching theology. You might think, well, that's kind of strange, but you know what, the same thing happens today. And universities and seminaries around the, in the United States and around the world, unsaved people teaching about God that they don't even know. And he began to teach theology at the University of, Erf, uh, of, uh, of Wittenberg. And as he was teaching, in, 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 in the course of his studies, he came and he was his time to teach the book of Psalms. And in his studies in the summer of 1513, around that time, he was studying the book of Psalms and Psalms chapter 31 in particular, and he read Psalms 31 verse 1, which says, In you, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Oh, that's not an unusual statement to us, but it was to Martin Luther. He came across that statement in the Holy Word of God. The psalmist David said, Lord, deliver me in your righteousness. You see, that statement, deliver me in your righteousness, went totally against his whole belief system. Because Martin Luther's belief system was God does not deliver people in his righteousness. He doesn't give his righteousness to people. We earn it. We have to climb our way up the ladder. And in in the process of doing so, by good works, by our good deeds, we attain our own righteousness. And we are delivered by our own righteousness. But, But the Bible said, the psalmist David said, Lord, deliver me in your righteousness. He wrestled with that for about two years. And he had such a, and in reality, it was the Holy Spirit pricking his heart. It was the Holy Spirit pounding on his heart, dealing with his wrong belief system, dealing with his faith that was in his works. And he came to the point that he got so, uh, so disturbed by that statement that he thought for a while that, that, that King David was lying. Or maybe he, maybe he was misquoted or made a mistake. That can't be true. God doesn't deliver people in his own righteousness. We have to work for it. Well, in the year, in the spring, 1515, as Martin Luther was in his tower office there at the University of Wittenberg, and he, he was studying the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, and he came across Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Anybody know what Romans 1, 17 says? He says, for in it that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Wow. He read it over 
and over and over. You ever have that happen to you before? God shows you something from his word, and you just got to read it again, and you just got to read it again, and you got to hear it again. You, you speak it, you read it, you just got to know it some more. Well, that's what happened that day in the spring of 1515, and Martin Luther, that Augustinian monk, got saved. He got radically saved. Hallelujah. Because what he saw in that verse is nothing about penance, nothing of works as the way to righteousness. Nothing of those things, nothing, nothing of the indulgent system to be right in the eyes of God. But he said that it's revealed to faith, to those who believe, for as it is written, the just shall live by faith. He got radically saved. He took the verse, he took his Bible, he went to his mentor at that time, who was the general vicar of that monastery. His name was Johann von Stalpitz, and he went to his mentor, von Stalpitz, and he said, Mentor von Stalpitz, i got to show you something. Look at this. Romans 1.17. Read it. So von Stalpitz, he read it. That is written, the just shall live by faith. That, yeah. And what do, you, what do you, yeah, the just shall live by faith. And Martin Luther said, notice that the apostle Paul said nothing of penance. Nothing of works as a means of righteousness. Nothing of the indulgent system. Nothing of the worship of the saints. Nothing of those things. Nothing about the use of relics and prayer beads. Nothing of those things. He just said the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. By this time, Johann von Stalpitz was starting, was beginning to see what Martin Luther was saying, and his response to Martin Luther was, Luther, if you take away penance, if you take away the indulgence system, if you take away the worship of the saints, if you take away the rosary, if you take away those things from the people, what will you put in their place. Oh, he got Martin Luther, didn't he? But Martin Luther responded and he said, man needs only Jesus Christ. Oh, my Lord, hallelujah. Mm. He said, man needs only Jesus Christ. And when he said Jesus Christ, he wasn't separating who he was from what he did. He was meaning by that man needs only Jesus and what Jesus did at Calvary. That's what man needs. And that is only what he needs. Well, in regards to the Roman Catholic Church, Martin Luther went downhill from there. But he went uphill in the eyes of God. Hallelujah. Because you may go downhill in the eyes of the world and the church, but if you believe in Jesus, if you're living by faith in Jesus, then you're going up, brother. Hallelujah. So Martin Luther got saved, and years went on in 1517. And the reality, October 31st, there was no such thing as Halloween at that point. But October 31st, 1517, he's nailed 
his 95 theses to the church, the, the Castle Church in Wittenberg. In 1521, he was summoned to the Diet of Worms, or the Council of Worms in Germany there, and to stand before the Roman Catholic authorities because Martin Luther had, had written several pamphlets, pamphlets supporting and teaching on justification by faith, teaching on the authority of Christ over the authority of the Pope, teaching on the priesthood of believers, meaning that every one of us has been, has been created and through the blood of Jesus is a priest and the God. We have direct access to God through Jesus Christ, not through a man. He taught that in his pamphlet. Well, that was a crime, don't you know it? And he had to stand before that council and give an account for himself. And each pamphlet, they stood there and the council said to him, Martin Luther, what do you say about yourself regarding this pamphlet about justification by faith? Will you recant? No. What do you say about yourself, about this pamphlet you wrote about the priesthood of all believers that people don't have to go through a man to get to God? What do you say about yourself? I'm not going to recant. No. All the pamphlets that he wrote, same exact thing. And, one, and, and on that day, the closing words that Martin Luther said before the council were some of the most powerful words that have ever been spoken. Those words he spoke today, that, that day still ring true today, and I want to read what he said to that, that council of Roman Catholic authority that day, which was the, the religious authority of that day. This is what he said. He said, unless I am convinced by Scripture and by plain reason and not by popes and councils who have so often contradicted themselves, my conscience is captive to the Word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other, so help me God. Wow. Mm. It's so good, I want to read it again. He said, unless I am convinced by Scripture, right here, unless you can convince me by the word of Almighty God. And he said in plain reason, which what he meant by that was just simple common sense. And not by popes and councils that have so often contradicted themselves. You see, you watch Christian television today and you get Christian magazines, go to the Christian bookstore, and you know what they will constantly do? contradict themselves. One preacher will say, well, walk in the Spirit, you got to read, read the Bible for an hour and get, my, get this special worship CD, and it will cause you to walk in the Spirit. Another preacher says, well, no, well that's good, but you got to do it for 39 minutes. Another preacher says, well, you got to get my book, my new New York Times bestseller, Wee. And you got to follow the three steps. And when you follow the three steps in the morning, you got to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning, follow them right after another, and then you will be in the Spirit. You see, Christians, those who really love the Lord that follow that, are confused. And they're looking for the truth. They're looking for the truth. 
See, Martin Luther said that day something that is so true today. I will follow the word of God. I will follow the word of God in just plain common sense. And the common sense interpretation of the word of God. If God said it, then I believe it. Hallelujah. If the apostle Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and am crucified, then that's good enough for me. Hallelujah. Whatever he taught in his word, that's what I want. Hallelujah. And I will not be convinced by men, preachers, popularity, the push of the world. I will not be influenced by that because they are so often contradict themselves. And as he said, to do so is neither right or safe. You'll go nuts. Because you'll try to follow every way and it will drive you into the ground. But he said, I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. You know, may that be our testimony in the world that we live in right now. May that be our testimony. May, not, may that not just be the testimony of preachers that stand behind the pulpit, but may that be the testimony of everyone that sits in the pew, every single one of us. I'm going to follow his word. I'm going to follow it with all of my heart. David, the psalmist David said, with my whole heart I will serve thee. Lord, I delight in thy law. That's what his heart was. He was a man after God's own heart. You see, in the day which we're living in, it's so easy to get astray. It's so easy to get distracted. The swagger dealt with it this morning. Sometimes we know more about what's going on in the world I love sports. I've been, I've been, I love sports ever since I was a young boy. You know what? I need to be careful that I don't know more about sports than I do know about his word. I, we need to be careful that we don't know more about the stock market than we know what the Holy Ghost is saying to our hearts. We need to be careful that we don't know more about herbal medicine than we know about Jesus Christ. My Lord, God, help us. God help us, that with all of our heart we will call out to him. Peter that day, he said to the Sanhedrin, the, the religious, Jewish religious authority of that day, he said we ought to obey God rather than men. You see, they were preaching, Peter and the other apostles, they were preaching in the temple. The Sanhedrin set the guards to go arrest them and put them in prison. But the Bible tells us in Acts 5 that an angel, God sent an angel. Hallelujah. He sent an angel and opened the prison doors. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he told Peter and the other apostles, you go back and you go in the temple and you keep on preaching. And you keep on teaching the people the words of this life. That's exactly what they did. The next morning, the Sanhedrin called the guards and said, hey, go get those guys out of the prison. But when they did so, they didn't find Peter and the other apostles there but they found them preaching and teaching in the temple again. They brought them back and they told them in verse 29 or 20, 28, they said, did we not strictly, strictly tell you 
don't preach and teach in this name anymore. Don't preach and teach in this name anymore. Don't do it. Because you are, you are filling Jerusalem with this doctrine and you're intending to bring this man's blood upon us. Stop it. Don't do it. You see, what the enemy of our soul, Satan, he'll come against us in a very similar way. You are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're living by faith. You're growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he will come against your mind and tell you it ain't worth it. He'll tell you, you know what, you need to stop. 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 In reality, I'm fearful. I'm concerned about preachers and those who hear the message of the cross in churches around the world, United States of America. They receive the message of the cross and it changes their life, it changes their ministry. And they may be in denominations, they may be independent. But I'm fearful for some that because of pressure, because of religious pressure, pressure from their compadres around them in the religious world, in their community, Pressure, pressure maybe from family. They kind of pull back. You're starting to pull back as it concerns the message of the cross. Well, you know, maybe I ought to pull back. Maybe I shouldn't be so heavy on this cross thing. See, the book of Hebrews tells us that God has no pleasure in those who pull back. I said he has no pleasure in those who pull back. And individually tonight, the same thing can happen. You are growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The light bulb has gone, has gone off and you've realized it's the cross, it's the cross, it's the cross, it's the cross. But because of pressure or because of questions that you have, maybe because of confusion that you may have about the messenger, again, questions that you have or because of what other people say, or just because of what lying spirits are telling you, you're pulling back. Tonight, God's word to you, to every single one of us, is to obey God rather than men. Hear me tonight, obey God rather than men. Because when you and I as God's children, when we obey him, and get this tonight, there is not a single one of us that's perfect in and of ourselves, in our walk, we're not perfect. We have to be in Christ Jesus by simple faith. We must identify with what he did for us at Calvary. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. We must look to Calvary. Hallelujah. It's the only answer, and we're not perfect. We stumble along the way. But hear me tonight. Regardless of the struggles and the failures that we have, Jesus Christ and what he did for us at Calvary, it truly is the answer. It is the truth. I said it is the truth. Regardless of what anybody says, regardless of what preachers say on television, regardless of what people in your family may say, if you want God's way, I said, if you want God's way, if you want his blessing, if you want his prosperity, 
then let your heart be the same as Peter and the apostles. Lord, I'm going to obey you. Lord, I'm going to obey you. Lord, I'm going to obey you. And not men, not feelings, not my emotions, not what people say or I think people are saying. I'm going to obey you. We know, we read about it in Daniel chapter 3, and the musicians and singers can come back. We read about it in Daniel chapter 3, one of the most powerful passages of Scripture in all the Bible. We read about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a burning fiery furnace. The decree went out by Nebuchadnezzar. You've got at the sound of the trumpet and all the different uh, uh, musical instruments, you've got to come and bow down before this image that has been built. And if you don't, you'll be cast into the burning fire furnace. In reality, Nebuchadnezzar, some of his high officials had tricked, I think, Nebuchadnezzar into doing so, uh, lifting up his pride, exalting his ego, and he did it. And the word came that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these Hebrew slaves were not falling down, they were not being obedient to the king, to the king's decree. The king, the king brought them before him and said these words to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. and said, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? You see, that mindset of Nebuchadnezzar is the mindset of Satan. It's the mindset of the enemy. He's not playing games with God's people. The sa- Satan, the devil, is an arrogant, deceived enemy. Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Do you really think that you can live for God? Do you really think that you can preach this cross and be blessed? Do you really think that? Come on now. Do you really think that? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in response, said, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know what, king? We don't even have to pray about this. (laughs) we don't even have to think a little while we don't have to have a board meeting about this can we have we don't have to vote on this they said our god whom we serve he is able to deliver us from your hands and from the burning fiery furnace he's able to deliver us from your hands and from the burning fiery furnace but get this king but even if he doesn't We ain't going to bow and worship your image. And we ain't going to obey your decree. Hallelujah. We ought to obey God rather than men. In the days that you and I are living in, right now, 2009, in the days that you and I are living in, that heart has got to be more and more and more in the remnant that God has called. Those that know Jesus Christ and are truly saved, they've got to have it in their spirit. I'm going to follow Jesus. You can throw me in the fiery furnace. You can say what you want to. But my God is able. Hallelujah. But even if he doesn't, I'm still going to serve God, and I ain't going to bow before your idol. Stand to your feet tonight.
You know, in preparation for tonight's service and praying about the message tonight. Hallelujah to the Lord. Actually, this morning as Brother Swaggart was was preaching and every, actually several several things that he said just actually in reality confirm what I feel that God laid upon my heart. But I felt it so strong. There are some here tonight, some listening by radio or watching over the internet. You are in that valley of decisions. You accepted the cross, but there's reservations there. Some of you have even pulled back some. You you know what? Tonight, I'm preaching to the Sunday night crowd. In a sense, I'm preaching to the choir. But there may be some here tonight, some, again, listening by radio, watching on the internet, in regards to what God has told you. It may be the message of the cross. It may be something else that's specific to God's will for your life. God's spoken to you. You've heard his voice. God wants you to know tonight that you just need to trust him and obey him. I said trust him and obey him because when you do, he will bless you. He will prosper you. God will prosper you. You won't be dependent on man, even good men. You won't be dependent on them, but you'll be dependent on a good God. God wants you to know tonight, just trust Him. (laughs) Obey Him. Trust Him. (laughs) Trust Him. Obey Him. He will work it out. (laughs) I said He will work it out. These altars are open. I want you to come.